what is going on everybody welcome back it is dog talk with your host holden glad to have you guys here and for whatever reason my page didn't transfer but there it is we are back we are back on youtube glad to have you guys back here uh, excited to have you guys back here i know it's been a little while since i was able to talk to you guys but nonetheless we are here back up and running on youtube as well like i said there hope anybody has you know in the past you know i've said hey make sure you guys uh, follow us on Twitter at Dog Talk 20 like now. Uh, make sure that you guys subscribe to the YouTube channel. And this is why once I finally get the camera up and rolling, I get the backdrop and everything finally fixed and up and going, you guys are first and foremost to get those notifications that I've done so. And you'll be able to get it finally, like I said, getting back on YouTube today with an episode. And I've got a fun one. I've got a lot of fun content to get to you guys. There's a lot to talk about Uh some stuff that's happened over the last few weeks, last couple of weeks since the last time we talked that we've got to talk about, and I'm looking forward to getting to that. Let's start it off like this, as usual. I said it right there off the top, at Dog Talk 20 on Twitter. Make sure you guys follow us there on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click that bell so you get a notification as soon as an episode drops, like this one. This one, as soon as it drops, you should get a notification. Hey, we're up and running on YouTube. You guys will be able to come in and check that out. Uh, then, website dogtalkpod.com spelled the way it's supposed to be d-a-w-g talkpod.com check that out as well i would greatly appreciate it this is what we've got on tap for today we're going to talk about some news starting off with coaching changes we've got a few guys that are headed out some guys that the last time we talked about we weren't quite sure about we've also got some new guys coming in as soon as today a couple of the announcements one of which is a big one a key role is actually coming in today we'll talk about that here in just a minute then we're going to talk about some of the returning players some of the good things that we do have coming some of the nfl guys that are headed to that nfl i do want to talk somewhat about that talk some about the national championship like we talked about we're going to get into an interview that i did earlier that is very exciting i'm glad for you guys to hear this and check it out then we're going to end it off with some transfer portal talk because that is all the talk right now Finally know where a lot of guys are landing. Still got a question about a couple. We're going to talk about that, and then I want to end it on a fun segment, which is my top five most memorable moments since 2012 and also the top five most heartbreaking moments since 2012. I could go back further than that. That's just a kind of a line, I guess you you could say, that I wanted to draw because I started looking at it, and most of the stuff that did was either really heartbreaking or was really exciting has happened since 2012, so that's just kind of the cutoff point that I did. And then we're pretty much pretty much going to wrap up this Season 2 of Dog Talk with this episode here. I know I said a, I would do awards you know, at the end of the year, but I don't need to. Georgia's national champions. We're national champions. The whole team gets an award. Greatest team in the world. That's all there is to it. When you end the season at number one, I can hand out awards to each individual guy, but why? The whole team. We're a national champion. Y'all get the award. The greatest team in my book. That's pretty much way, the way that we're going to run this thing. So let's get to it off the top here. The coaching changes. I want to start off with the guys who are headed out, and then we'll talk about some of the guys who are coming in because that's pretty exciting. Some of the guys that are headed out, uh, Ben Souders, he's headed to be strength and conditioning coach at Louisville. Uh, Robbie Disher, he's headed to be the special teams coordinator at Tulane. We know Dan Lanning obviously headed out to be the head coach. Uh, at Oregon, Cortez Hankton, that was a question we had back a couple of weeks ago, the last we talked. There was a pretty good thought that he was headed out the door back home to LSU. 
Louisiana, I should say, not necessarily LSU. And sure enough, that's where he's headed to be the wide receiver coach. Uh, and then also uh, John Jancic, he is also headed out to be quality control coordinator at LSU also. So a couple of guys headed to join that Brian Kelly staff. I'm sure some of you guys have seen these funny videos that have come out about Brian Kelly. <sighs> I just don't know how to feel about it. But anyway, now to some of the guys that we've got coming in. I want to start with this one, Jordan Barber. He will be the associate uh, strength and coordinating, strength and conditioning specialist. Let me get that right. Start getting the coordinator and all that coming in. It kind of messes with your brain. But anyway, he's coming in as an associate strength and conditioning specialist. Also picked up from Auburn, we actually did get Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo will be coming in, not as a coordinator, but he is going to be coming in as an offensive analyst, which that's a really exciting thing. Uh, you know, just kind of getting the guys back together, having Kirby, having Bobo back, even with Will Muschamp being on the team as well. That's really exciting. Uh, and then the biggest one, biggest one that actually I think dropped earlier today, uh, in the place of Cortez Hankton headed out to LSU, Georgia picks up Brian McClendon. Brian McClendon, if you remember, was actually a coach at Georgia for a long time, uh, was a grad assistant from 07 to 08, uh, was a running backs coach from 09 to 2013, even in 2014, but he was also a recruiting coordinator in 2014 as well. 2015 was probably one of his most pivotal roles, being a wide receiver coach, receiving coordinator, but also in that time became an interim head coach when Mark Rick was headed out the door. Uh, and then following that, once Georgia decided to hire Kirby Smart, he headed out the door to be co-offensive coordinator as well as wide receivers coach at South Carolina. Stayed there from 2016 to 2019, 2018-19 season. He was actually the offensive coordinator as well as the wide receivers coach. Following that, he took off and went to Oregon to be the wide receiver coach there. This past season, he was also Oregon's interim head coach, uh, I guess when all the changes were going on up there at Oregon. And now he is headed back to Georgia to be the wide receiver coach. Really glad and excited you know, when you get a guy who's got ties to Georgia, just like I said earlier, having Kirby Smart being an alumnus, having uh, Mike Bobo coming back, same thing, having Will Muschamp coming back in as well, having these guys that have ties to Georgia, to me it just means more. And I don't mean that just from an SEC standpoint. It just does. To me, I think, uh, I think you could be really successful at a program and do all that you can to make it good. But it's, it just there's something about being from that school. You went here. You grew up here. You fought for this team when you played for this team, you know, for Kirby back back in the day. So I think it just means a lot more for these guys who actually went to school here and have those ties to it. So that's, that's really exciting, really excited thing to look at. One question that we do have coming forward, and we'll find out if this question gets answered. It may not. Right now there's a lot of speculation that Todd Munkin could be headed back to the NFL. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't have any inside source that's telling me, hey, he's headed out, or one that doesn't. So you're not going to hear that from me as far as being the breaking news. And if you do, I just got a great tidbit, uh, and nobody will believe me until it actually becomes the truth anyway. So, But nonetheless, that'll be something we watch out for. This is a comparison I kind of thought of. You know, when Dan Lenning was headed out the door before we ever knew that he was actually going to be the head coach at Oregon, we thought something may be going on, but he wasn't on the recruiting trail. Uh, everybody else pretty much was, but Dan, for the most part, was kind of staying put. Um, and then, obviously, we find out he's headed to Oregon, so that kind of answered all that. Right now, Todd Munkin is still doing the recruiting pitch. He's still headed out recruiting guys, trying to get guys coming to Georgia. Now, if he's headed to the NFL, I guess that really doesn't matter because when you're headed to the NFL, 
it doesn't necessarily matter that you're still recruiting for Georgia uh, because you're not really going to be recruiting against yourself. Had Dan Lanning continued to go out being a recruiter at the time that he knew he was already going to be the head coach of Oregon, you're kind of recruiting against yourself. Guys that you think you would go and try to bring to Georgia, all of a sudden, hey, they might be guys that you'd rather go to Oregon and play for you there. So I can kind of understand that. But for right now, we're just going to stay put. We're going to keep our fingers crossed that everything stays the way that it's supposed to with Todd Munkin staying in that offensive coordinator position, especially considering how great the offense played this year. It's been elite. That's the thing we said we had to be. In games that we played, Georgia blew teams out, with exception to the Clemson game starting the season and the SEC championship game. And the national championship game was a tight game as well. In the end, we did pull away there with the pick six from Keely Ringo. But nonetheless, Georgia's offense, much better this year, much more improved, much more explosive. The things that we wanted to see in years past that have finally come to fruition, and it just so happens at the same time that our defense was as elite as it's ever been. Better than it's been in a long, long time uh, under Kirby Smart and at the time Dan Lanning. Credit out to him. But I will say this. I'm not nervous about moving forward with Glenn Schumann, who's been there, who's been the co-defensive coordinator as well, who's been right there next to Dan Lanning. Also, let's not forget Will Muschamp's in the room too. And let's really not forget the fact that Georgia head coach Kirby Smart is a defensive guy. He has nothing but a defensive mindset, has coached defense all his life, played defense obviously. So he knows what he's doing. Even if something was to happen with Will, with Glenn, hate for that to happen, don't want that to happen. But Georgia is, and, and excuse me, Kirby is a defensive-minded coach, so I'm not worried about the defense. Defensively, I think Georgia's going to be just fine. Uh, but I am glad to see these guys coming in, especially having Brian McClendon come back, being that wide receiver coach. Really looking forward to that. Now, let's get to uh, some of the guys that I do want to shout out, and these are the guys headed to the NFL. I'm really excited about these guys. Proud of these guys, um, and again, just credit out to these guys for what a great team. Some of these guys juniors, a lot of these guys seniors, uh, but I just want to go through the list of them real quick. You got James Cook, Zamir White, Lewis Seen, Nicobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, George Pickens, Jamar Salyer, Devontae Wyatt, De'Arian Kendrick, Jake Camarda, Justin Schaefer, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, John Fitzpatrick, and Jordan Davis. Also, the last one that I read about is actually going to be Adam Anderson. Cannot rejoin the team, has decided he is going to push forward to try to become uh, NFL draft eligible, I guess is what it is, because I guess technically he's a junior or a senior. I can't remember correctly exactly, but I do know that if I remember correctly on top of this, let me just go back and double-check the note that I was reading earlier. Yeah, he can't be back at Georgia next season. He's going to be pursuing the NFL draft. He was a senior, okay. Obviously was suspended. He's denied those charges, and he's waiting trial. But in the meantime, uh, he is out, so he can move forward to try to play in the NFL and go to the NFL draft. We will see what happens with that. Wish nothing but the best for all of these guys. Uh, incredibly proud of these seniors and juniors that put their heart on the line. And we're able to bring Georgia a national championship for the first time since 1941. So excited and glad uh, about that. Now let's talk about some of the guys that are returning. Because these are guys that are really going to matter. You look at those guys headed to the NFL draft. We'll talk about transfer guys at the end of the show. I want to save that for a little bit later. Uh, but the returning guys, this, these are guys that it's going to mean a lot to have these guys back this season. I'm really looking forward to these guys. Kiaris Jackson, he's a big one in the wideout position. We talked about some of the guys that we just lost. You know, you talk about losing – George Pickens, one of your big guys there. And then we're obviously John Fitzpatrick, a tight end there. We're okay there having uh, uh, Big O 
with Darnell Washington having Brock Bowers, obviously the season that he's had. Oscar Delt that's coming in also as a freshman. So you got big names that are coming in, but you've also got big names that are still there. Offensively, I said this before, I'm not really nervous about the offense, no matter who the quarterback is. Now, there is some controversy there as far as the way that everything happened, which we talked somewhat about last time. And again, I think we'll talk more about it nearing the end of this show, so stick around for that. But offensively, I wasn't nearly as nervous uh, for Georgia moving forward because we still have so many pieces, even with the wide receivers that we do have that are leaving, that are headed to the draft, uh, and the guys that are sticking around, I still feel good. You have a deep room. Let's not forget we've got guys who have been injured this year who are elite and will be, and they get rehabbed and get over these injuries and you know getting feeling better and things of that nature. All that does is it's a guy who has experience. That's that's key who's been in big situations, key. Let's talk about Kiaris Jackson and all that he's been through the last three years here at Georgia. He is a key, pivotal role for what we have. Now, defensively, there are a ton of guys on that name, on that list that I just read off, and that is a lot of guys to lose on defense. But some of these guys that are coming back get to play key roles in the 2022 season coming up. Here's a few of them. Chris Smith, Christopher Smith, Tyke Smith, Nolan Smith, the three Smiths. I, t- I know I've seen a few things about that. That's pretty good. That three names alone right there is a lot. That's a lot of returning contributors to the game. Tyke obviously been battling that injury really late into the end of the season, uh, but to have him back next year fully healthy, it's great. William Poole, Robert Beal, having all those guys back there on the back end, guys, again, who have played, who have experience, who have been in the big games. Robert Poole, or uh, excuse me, William Poole from the SEC Championship game having to come in uh, and, and fill that void as well as in the national championship, he started to make a name for himself. So him coming back another year is going to be very, very pivotal. And then the one that a lot of people were questioning, wondering if this should happen or not. And again, we'll dive somewhat deeper into it at the end of the show. Stetson Bennett, he's coming back. Let's knock it out right here. There should be no criticism. And for me, it's not necessarily criticism. Me and my boss actually talked about this was, It's not necessarily a criticism, but you couldn't ask for a better story. The best story you could ask is to go out on top, ride off into the sunset, and enjoy that. But you don't have to. And he decided, hey, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to come back and see if I can do this thing again. So we shouldn't criticize the fact that we've got a guy who just led us to a national championship, put his heart on the line to do that, and I just hope that he has that same fight mentality this coming year as he does this year. Excited to see what he can do in the upcoming year. Also excited to see if anything does change up in the quarterback room. You know, you talk about uh, JT Daniels. He's headed out. We don't know where. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. But there's a lot of change that could be happening. I'm excited to see what the guys coming in, the competition that that builds. Again, the bigger the guys that you have in the room with you, all that does is build a competition. It makes each other better. Makes each other better. So you're talking about a guy, yeah, he used to be a walk-on. Guess what? He just won a national championship. Let's let's give him the credit due uh, for doing that. That's, you know, national championship. It doesn't get old. It's almost, what, three weeks ago now? I still hadn't even got uh, all the merch in yet from the national championship. I'm still waiting on a couple things, a couple things I don't think that are going to be here for a little while, but I'm excited. I'm still excited to this day, and I'm really excited that at the end of the show, some of this is going to reflect back to the top five most memorable moments because there were some. There were a lot in this, um, but for now, I'll tell you what, let's jump to uh, the interview that I had with the SEC historian coming up here next. 
All right, we're here with Trey Gilly, the SEC historian on Twitter at SEC Historian. Trey, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Holden, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, I, I looked up a little bit of the work that you had that you sent over to me, and I'm extremely excited to have you on the show today to talk about some of the history surrounding the SEC, specifically right now on Georgia in, this, in the historic season they had, national champions 2021 for the first time in 41 years. Um, I really appreciate you reaching out. I'm excited to talk a little bit about the history of Georgia and some of the future things that we have that are going on here recently and what we've got to come um tell everybody a little bit about yourself and and kind of where we can find some of your work and if people want to reach out to you there on twitter or what have you what's the best way to kind of get in touch with you or find some of the content that you've got out there right now gotcha well it's a pleasure's all mine i appreciate you invite me on the podcast here um yeah so i started this account uh december 1st of 2021 just because I saw an opening, I guess, in the, the sports market for history and historical content. So I can be found at Twitter at, at SEC Historians, all spelled out. And uh, I have accepted a couple of writing jobs for Pipeline and for Fifth Quarter. So you can see uh, some of my work coming out pretty soon with them. I already have one article posted. Uh, with Pipeline. I went over the history of the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it, happy with how it turned out. So that's available right now on Pipeline.com. Yeah, I've read over that. That's a that's a good one. And that, that one, Pipeline, is, is it spelled out P-Y-P? Is that how, how, is that how they spell it instead of normal P-I-P-E, just so people don't get kind of mixed up when you look that up? Correct. Yeah, it's P-Y-P-E-L-I-N-E. Okay. Well, that's like I said, I've read over it. You guys make sure you go and check out some of his work there as well. And I actually retweeted that yesterday. So if you check it out there at Dog Talk 20, you'll be able to see that as well. And anything else that he comes out with, I'll make sure to share for you guys as well. All of this is going to be then linked up. Excuse me. All of this is going to be in the link of the description below of the show, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening, wherever you guys listen, iHeartRadio, Apple, make sure you guys check it out. But without further ado, I'm extremely excited to get to some of the content that we've got and starting things off with the historic season that Georgia has had this year in the national championship for the first time in 41 years. 41 years since 1980, Georgia finally climbs on top in a historic year that it's been uh, for sure because if you look back at the years past, like you say, you've looked at the history of things and, and how things have gone. Georgia defensively, has been one of the most stout things I've seen. Um, but I kind of throw back to some of that 1980s. Football was just different, a whole lot different Absolutely. back then than it is now. Yeah, and it's it was interesting looking up uh, the differences between this current year and 1980. There's a lot of things that were the same as in uh, like special teams play in 1980 and defensive play in 1980 is really kind of what carried the Bulldogs because, I mean, they had Herschel Walker, of course, in his freshman year, but as far as a passing attack, it was basically non-existent. So it was really cool to see the similarities between 2021 and 1980. Thing is, uh, this current year, though, Georgia showed a dominance that just was not the case in 1980. In fact, there was a few games during that season that Georgia just about lost or really should have lost. But with this year, you know, 
Georgia was basically dominant the entire season except for, you know, their one hiccup, which which they avenged for. So it was it's really something special. They, they were an absolutely special team this year. Yeah, it's funny you say that, throwing it back to the 1980 when it comes to the pass game. I mean, you're talking about Buck Blue days, you know, the, the good old days where you're throwing for, you know, 1,300 yards in a season. Something nowadays, you know, you're throwing for yeah. thousands upon thousands of yards and 11 touchdowns in a season from one quarterback and nine interceptions back in 1980. It's a huge difference from that in the 80s. And like you were saying, defensively, and this year has been the key point being that defense of Georgia as historic as it's been in comparison to years past. Like you say, a lot of it was defense in 1980, and this year that came back to fruition for the first time really in a long time, seeing defense be what won a championship. And it was really nice to see because, as you can see in like the football landscape, that there is a transition and transition, excuse me, happening that there is such a – emphasis put on offensive play and like the new spread offense and high flyers, lots of points. And so it was almost like kind of refreshing as someone who loves history to see that, okay, yeah, that's great. And that's exciting. And it's entertaining, but really at the end of the day, defense wins championships and Georgia definitely proved that this season. Yeah. I look kind of back at the 1980 season points per game back then is like 27.8 back in 80 and then the points for 330. And then you kind of look at the 2021 season and the difference there. Points per game, Georgia's scoring a lot more, 40. Giving up 579, but you're also, when you look at that, you kind of have to think, okay, you're also playing 15 games. Whereas back then, it's what, I think they went 12-0 and 0 back in the 1980 season. And it's Right, right. And it was exactly like you said. You start the season against Tennessee, winning that by one point. But it's 16-15. to 15. It's not a huge blowout. It's not a lot of points put up in a game. A couple of games were big blowouts, but you even win what back then, which I think we somewhat spoke of, there wasn't a national championship game back in 1980. This was you played and who ended up on the top, ranked number one at the end of the season. That's where it ended up. And Georgia beating Notre Dame in, I believe it was the Sugar Bowl. Am I correct about that? I could be wrong. Um, yes, sir, Sugar Bowl. So beating Notre Dame back then 17-10 to 10, in 1980, that put Georgia yeah. on top back then. Yeah, it was funny going back through uh, reading the newspaper articles and it's, uh, you know, Georgia's sweetest moment, everyone's celebrating, but at the very end of the column there, it's like, okay, well, now we all wait anxiously for the AP and UPI to come out with their polls. So, I mean, they were undefeated, like, of course they were going to be crowned the national champion, but still, it wasn't definite. So I, I do think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's funny, too, looking back, like you say, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine it now. People could not fathom as much as when the season is at the height of, especially national championship time, could you imagine two teams play one another now in a in a time and day where when, when a Netflix special comes out, you binge it in a weekend, you know, it can be 16 episodes, it doesn't matter, you watch all of it in a weekend. Could you imagine nowadays a game ends, the season's over, all right, let's wait about a week and let's find out who wins the national championship. Right. It's, it's, I mean, but you think though, the first time um, we really crowned like a true national champion was in 1998, which really wasn't that long ago. So this is such a new concept for the college football world. The, the fact that we're actually have like, okay, well, we're not just voting on who the champion is. Like we are saying without a doubt, 
undisputed, if you will, that this is our national champion. Yeah, and similarly so to that, like you were talking about with the uh, even with the SEC, when it comes to an SEC championship game, it hasn't been all that long that an SEC championship game started. Right. Like uh, that 1980 year, Georgia didn't play a, uh, an SEC championship game. They did their regular conference schedule. They were undefeated, and they were just crowned the SEC champion. It's, uh, it wasn't until 1992 when we brought in South Carolina and Arkansas that an actual SEC championship game was played. Yeah, there's such a difference nowadays, too. And I know it's kind of a back and forth between the 80 championship and, and moving forward as we come in, but that's what we're here to talk about is the history surrounding not only the SEC but Georgia right now is just how – it just, again, just kind of blows my mind that – we used to not even have that championship game. And back before really the college football playoff system started to become a thing back in 2015, the SEC championship, that meant a lot. It meant a lot if you won the SEC championship, especially back in the early 2000s. And now when you get to the playoffs, it does mean something, especially like a year like now and especially a year like 2017 when Alabama didn't win it. But they played for the national championship against Georgia, two SEC teams. Same thing happens this year. Georgia doesn't win the SEC championship game. Alabama does. But luckily, Georgia, being as good as they were, was able to do the same thing Alabama did in 2017 and slip in that back door. And yet again, two SEC teams playing for a national championship. And again, it, it's almost like it loses some of its you know, meaning winning the SEC championship. But when you have so many teams in the SEC that are as good as they are, to be on the top and be able to even get in without winning that – Again, it just means more. It just means more in the SEC. I've always said that. (laughs) Right. Uh, It is very interesting. And uh, there's actually a a pretty relatively like kind of new concept that we're transitioning out of the regionalism that college football used to be. The fact that we're having like repeated games for national championship stakes is really, I mean, it's, you can basically thank the SEC for that. I mean, as I'm sure you know, back in 2011, when Alabama and LSU replayed each other, and then a few years ago, Georgia, Alabama, and of course this year, it's uh, it's a new thing. And it's kind of interesting to see what the future of the sport looks like because we are moving away from the regionalism of sports. I mean, think about what here, 2025, the SEC is going to add Texas and Oklahoma. And there's some old rivalries there from the Southwestern conference, which I'm excited about, but we are definitely transitioning into this kind of super conference type of thing. So it's the college football landscape is just going to change a lot here in the very near future. Yeah. And we'll, we'll touch some more on that kind of near in the end. Cause we're going to talk, the future of the SEC as well with transfer portal, with NIL, all the all the strange intricacies that are going to come with that as well. Um, but, I, again, really excited for 2021 what happened. I was looking here, and I did not realize this until actually looking it up here. Did you know back in 1980 there were only two of the Georgia games that were actually aired on TV, both of them being played on ABC? I, I did not realize that until looking here now. I did not know that. That's that's. What were the uh, the two games? It says South Carolina was played on a, a that was on ABC and that was a thirteen to ten final and then Florida at Jacksonville was a twenty six to twenty one also on ABC. But that's the only two that it shows they were actually televised. Now, I, I always say this: I, I 
could be wrong about it, but from what I'm looking at right here, that's the only ones. And that's at another one just shows you how much things have changed. And now 41 years, that's a decent span, but TV now, I mean, the rights to television, it, it, that's another thing, another thing that's changing. And like you said, when you have Oklahoma and when you have Texas join the league in the upcoming years, there's a lot of things that change with TV rights as well that, you know, that wasn't such such a big deal back in the day as opposed to what it is now. Right. Back then, you all had our, our local radio hosts, and then they had the credentials that they could cover the game. And there really wasn't competition, especially as we see today when it comes to these big million-dollar uh, TV contracts. Yeah. And, and credit out now to Scott Howard, uh, you know, our radio announcer, you know, to, to fill any kind of a shoe like Larry Munson used to, I mean, just huge shoes to fill. But he did a great job. You know, he was actually sick during the SEC, or excuse me, the national championship game. But he fought through it, called a great game, and that's the way you used to listen to games. It, it wasn't so much watching a game, if, unless you were there back in 1980. It was you're listening to it on the radio. You're listening for the call uh, to see what Georgia did. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And it's a real talent to get up there and – I mean, you can take your notes of stats and players and profiles, but to see the action and then immediately announce it and tell a story in a way that engages an audience, it's its an amazing craft, and I just have the utmost respect for those guys who do that on a daily basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Georgia now, a three-time national champion, 1942 being one, 1980, and 2021, putting on three. We've got a long way to go to catch up with the, with the big dogs in uh, – in Alabama, I understand that. Do you do you know I don't have you know, we talk about the differences in nineteen eighty and, and two thousand twenty one. The difference in nineteen eighty and nineteen forty two, I'm sure, is insurmountable in comparison to what just the differences we've talked about here are. Do you know a lot of the differences that there were back in nineteen forty two in comparison to nineteen eighty, especially now in twenty twenty one? Yeah, so 1942 was an interesting year just for college football in general. We had the start of you know World War II, and football was a completely different sport back then. Um, so the 38 years between those two really saw like the the growth of college football as a sport. And so, all right, so 1942 was the AP poll was created in 1936. And that's how before 1998, that's how essentially the national champion was crowned. Um, a lot of people think that those newspaper national champions don't really count. In fact, uh, Bo Schimbelker of Michigan uh, said, quote, if there are any Big Ten teams that shoot for a national championship, they're damn fools. You play to win the Big Ten championship, and if you win it, you go to the Rose Bowl and win it. Then you've had a great season. If they choose you to vote you number one, then you're national champion. But a national champion is a mythical national champion, and I think you guys ought to know that. So before 1998, there really was kind of like a, not a stigma, but there was always that doubt of who was actually number one. And 1942 was essentially the same thing. Um, in fact, the AP poll isn't even the one who crowned Georgia champion that year. They had Devold, Holgate, Lickenhouse, Williamson, Polling, and Berryman, which were all mathematical-based rating systems. Not a single newspaper, like typical sports writer, actually crowned them in 1942. Oh, wow. 
No, yeah, I would I would have never known it. And it, like you say, I almost kind of want to now thinking of national championships. There should almost be, and I say this, and I, I I've said this on my show before. I dislike the comparison between Alabama and Georgia, but you kind of have to make it, especially considering coming into this game, if you're going to be the man, you got to beat the man. And Georgia finally got over that hump and did that this year. But I would like to maybe since 1998 forward let's let's talk about those national champions just because in years before 1998 there were times that you knew okay georgia 1980 uh, should be undisputed okay 19 should be undisputed national champions like you say might not have been in some cases but in some cases it is but really there should be a system to say okay 1998 forward this is how many national championships you truly have instead of like alabama has done and okay we've got 18 national championships dating way back and what is it the 1931 there's there's one season where alabama didn't even finish ranked near the top and claims a national championship that year yeah i'm sorry alabama fans i've got some some <laughs> stuff in the works coming out about some of your championships i mean it's I, I i don't know i had a great talk with uh mark from fifth down college football and I kind of like the mythical nature of it. I mean, of course, now I it's it's better. It's just a better system to have one national champion. But uh, I don't know, Georgia. You've got some years like like 1981, two and three. I mean, there was you had a really good shot of going four in a row. If you're like, let's see here in. Uh, I don't know, like 1982, you were undefeated. You lost in the quote-unquote national championship game to Penn State, but you still finished number two. I'm sure some math polls rated you number one. Why don't you just claim it? Not to throw dirt at Alabama, but... <laughs> yeah, if they're, if they're going to claim one when they finish like ninth, then what was the AP poll back then? Why would you not... You know, if that was even the poll then, like say, hey, you're the historian, you know, you know more about it than I do. <laughs> My favorite uh, quote championship for Alabama is uh, 1973, where they, just like Georgia, they went undefeated and then they lost the very last game. But so here's the thing, though. When it comes to the AP poll from 1936 to 1968, the final poll of the year was created before the bowl games even started. Ah. So Alabama was undefeated, and so they were crowned national champion, and then they lost. And the same thing happened in 1951 with Tennessee. They were undefeated. They were crowned champion, and then they played Maryland and just got blown out. But Tennessee's, that's still their championship year. It wasn't until 1968 that – uh the AP poll actually came up with a final poll after the bowl games. Yeah, that's that's interesting there. So it was, it was basically, okay, this is the end of the regular season. You are the national champion of the regular season. Now let's play some bowl games, and uh, everybody just enjoy that. As, as like back then, evidently a bowl game was truly that. It was just something to enjoy, kind of to celebrate the fact that you had such a great season and did so good. And, you know, I know that's a big conversation now that bowl games – there's so many that it almost means nothing to teams nowadays to play in a bowl game. Well, um, yeah, that is interesting that that argument is brought up now because during you know that 40-odd years, the bowl games really didn't matter. It was 
okay, hey, we had a great season. Let's go hang out somewhere with the sunshine and the beach. And uh, if we win, great. And if we don't, we don't. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange how things kind of uh, shape up like that. Did you have anything else pertaining to any of the national championships before we kind of jump into a little bit of conversation uh, that is more recently historical, I, sh- I should say, between Kirby and Nick Saban that anybody has conversation about? Do you have anything kind of predating that back to the national championship talk before we move on? Well, going back to 1942, uh-huh. um, as I said, I'm all about Georgia claiming it. But technically, the NCAA does not show Georgia as the national champion that year. They only list Ohio State. So wow. do with that what you will. Wow. And the fact that it's Ohio State to me, that just makes it, that makes it worse. I think I was looking, let's see. This is, this, I, I do a lot off of, based off of sports reference. I know a lot of people look at that as well. And they, they do in 1980. Oh, yeah. They put, and this is through the AP poll, the FWAA, the NFF, and the UPI. Um, also the same year that George Rogers wins the, the, uh, the Heisman Trophy. But it actually does have Georgia as the national champion that year. So it's, it's like you say, I'm sure there's a couple of different sites that you could look at others. Same thing like 1990. Like you were saying, 1990, Colorado has the AP poll. It's got like five rankings that it's number one national champion. Then Georgia Tech through the UPI has one. So it's weird how there's there's a few years, there's multiple. And it, the weirdest one looking at it here, at least through this website, like I said, which is sports reference, uh, is 1964. Check this out. They have three. Alabama has two with the AP and the UPI. Arkansas with the FWAA and then Notre Dame with the NFF. That, that's just that's wild <laughs> looking back on things like that yeah talking about wild the um, in my own research uh through sports reference and the college poll archive which i use basically as a daily reference uh-huh. the worst one i could find was in 1919 which granted that's like the wild west of college football but in 1919 there was four teams selected as oh, wow. national champion Imagine trying to sell a four-way tie in today's college football. It's not happening. It's not happening. Yeah, there's a couple of them that I'm actually looking at here now. That even I think the most recent is 1970, where Texas, Nebraska, and Ohio State technically share uh, what is a national champion, depending on who you, I guess, consider to be the main poll back then. Yeah, I mean, this isn't even just affecting like some, you know, days gone by. Think back to 2017. Technically, UCF can kind of say they're a national champion because one uh, writer's association said that they were. And, I mean, obviously they ran with it and they hung the banner in their stadium. So <laughs> they, had a, they had a parade like, and everything for it. Good, good for you. Like I said earlier, I mean, if you can claim it, claim it. It's it's crazy. That's I guess the only good thing, and I'm looking at the same thing here through Sports Reference. It shows really since the 2014 season when that was when college football playoff era began. That's when we really did away, obviously doing away with the BCS that used to be the championship for years, uh, dating all the way back to 1998, like you said when that started. Um, all it is now is just two. It's just the AP poll and the college football playoff poll. The only two. I know there's the coaches poll, but again, that's just a coaches poll. Uh, but the only two that are true references that are being followed. So I guess that does make it a little easier. Instead of having seven, eight different, you know, polls, you have two. And two. one 
really matters at the end of the season, whereas the others no longer really matter at that point. Right, right. Well, good. I've, I'm glad to jump back in time. You, I learned a thing or two today. I'm hoping everybody else that's listening does as well. Um, let's jump into some of the differences now because this is now a conversation that is, again, more recent but is still somewhat historical going back. And I kind of had to update some numbers because some of the information that I was looking at was actually a little off. I started looking at it. I was like, these numbers don't seem right. A lot of conversation is going on right now that, that Kirby Smart is equal to, if not better, than Nick Saban was in his tenure in the first five, six years that Kirby has been at Georgia now. Um, and I actually was looking back through it, and it's actually extremely, extremely close to being equal with the exception that Nick Saban does actually have three national championships over that time. And you you may have this information in front of you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but looking at it, Kirby, through six years, he is 66-15 and 15 with eight bowl games, six and two of those, and one national championship over that time. Whereas you look at Nick Saban over the same six years, his first six years at Alabama, he goes 68 and 15. So two games better, which 2020, you know, you lose a couple of those games. Six bowl games, five and one in those, and three national championships in the same time. I didn't look exactly at the SEC championships, um, but that being kind of the big picture, is it's very equal with exception, like I said, that Nick Saban actually has more national champions in that time. I know most people were looking at like the first four years, how well Kirby had done getting to the college football playoff, playing for a national championship already. When really, when I look back at it, I think Nick Saban, if I remember correctly, in his first year at Alabama, yeah, they go seven and six, but his next year they go 12 and two, losing the Sugar Bowl. But then one year later, so his third year, they have a perfect season going 14 and 0 and winning a national championship back then, which was the BCS national championship. Right. Yeah, it was kind of interesting doing my own. Um, so, like, uh, as you said, let's see. So, Kirby Smart's first year was in 2016. They went eight and five. I read some some newspaper articles about the opinions on him. Let me just say they were not kind. <laughs> um, but so they have, you know, kind of a mediocre year. But I feel like unless you go 0 and 12 your first year at Georgia, which should never happen nowadays you'll you'll be okay and so their next year in 2017 is when they actually appear in their first sec championship game if we go parallel to nick saban his first year is 2007 his first appearance in the sec championship game was his second year coaching in alabama i mean and looking back through the recruiting rankings and things like that it is eye-opening how much these two coaches have in common in reference to how they started their years at their current schools. Yeah. It's it's kind of fun when you look back and you think about the differences. And, and like I say, it wouldn't be so much of a conversation now had, obviously, Kirby, excuse me, <coughs> had a little tickle in the throat there. It wouldn't be so bad if, you know, Kirby might not have had so much success. You know, when Kirby first got here, like you were saying, back in the 2016 season, you go eight and five. If I remember correctly, Georgia lost to Vanderbilt that year. They did. In in a season nowadays, Vanderbilt's one of the teams, in my opinion, you may or may not share this, and I hate to say this about Vanderbilt, but while we bring in Oklahoma and and Texas, part of me is like, all right, well, maybe we should move Vanderbilt to the Sun Belt or something because they're just – they're so far lacking since that 2016 season to really even be – 
I mean, anywhere in the conversation of anything. And I hate to say that, but that just kind of dates back to first year under Kirby Smart. All of us, I think, we're scratching our head going, oh, boy. And then not really a miracle, but the just surprise of the 2017 season getting to the college football playoff, getting to the national championship, and really being second and 26 away from winning a national championship in his second season. Right, yeah, it was- his growth from year to year was just it was exponential it was it was amazing honestly to witness and it was it really was such like a night and day difference between 17 and 2016 because that 2016 team really wasn't good i mean as you pointed out they had that loss at home in sanford stadium to vanderbilt and then the very next year or excuse me the very next week they lose to florida which another kind of interesting parallel I found. So Kirby Smart's first year, he loses to Florida, uh, 10 to 24. And that was actually Florida's third consecutive win over the Bulldogs. Nick Saban's first year, he lost the Iron Bowl to Auburn. And that was actually Auburn's sixth straight Iron Bowl win, which meant that three senior classes in a row for Alabama never beat Auburn, Mm. which is just insane to think about. Uh, when you think about the current present day Alabama. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, this is somewhat coaching talk on the other side. To me, one one thorn in Alabama's side, even through the years recently, you know, since uh, Gus Malzahn was at Auburn, was just how much of a thorn in the side Gus Malzahn was to Alabama. Because it was almost every other year that Auburn would actually take Alabama down. And like you say, coming into uh, Nick Saban started his tenure there at Alabama back in the 2007 season. Auburn reigned. Auburn reigned heavily over that, and everything changed. Not, not, no pun intended, but the tide did shift towards Alabama pretty heavily there for a little while as well. Uh, before you know, Alabama started getting things rolling again, and it just again just the comparison between the two. It, it's a lot of fun to kind of look at. Uh, I know a lot of people try to make the conversation. Okay, well, let's talk about Mark Richt. Mark Richt was just as good as Kirby in his first years and just never could get over the hump, whereas now Kirby has, and now I think it's kind of time to put that at least to bed. I don't think you get to put the conversation of Nick Saban versus Kirby Smart to bed just yet uh, because it's taken, Lord, it's taken way too long <laughs> since that 2017 season right. play in Alabama for Georgia to finally get over that hump. Now, I've already said this in in season or really episodes past that you have to continue that you can't just do it once and then expect it to all go away because alabama fans are relentless and they will make sure that you remember that (laughs) yeah especially when you look ahead to next year i mean alabama's gonna have pretty good shot at getting back to the national championship and that's just a credit to what nick saban as a coach and as a recruiter and what the establishment the foundation that he's made there um that's just a credit to that and i've read somewhere that uh, Coach Kirby has actually done a lot of the same things he's just implemented at Georgia. And I've also heard, you know, Billy Napier down in Florida is also using a lot of those strategies. And I mean, imitations, the what, sincerest form of flattery. If it's working, it's working. And obviously, Coach Smart proved this year that it does work at Georgia, which is, it's, Crazy to think that it took 41 years for Georgia to achieve that in the first place. I mean, the recruiting is 
substantial. They have one of the biggest budgets in the in all of college football. Georgia belongs in that top four, top eight. However, every single year, Georgia has shot to win the national championship, just like Alabama. And now I think that mentally they're over that hump. They've they've exercised some of those demons. I really think that we're going to start seeing them even more so in the in the national playoff or excuse me national championship game. That's one thing I'm definitely looking forward to, especially just considering how how things have changed so much since Kirby has come in. And the conversation will continue to be, okay, Kirby is a, a prodigy of Nick Saban's staff, just like all of the other guys who have come before him, and everything revolves around, all right, what did Nick Saban do? Who are his assistants? Kirby's one of them. Now you got uh, Will Muschamp, who is back at Georgia. Kirby also went out and decided to hire Mike Bobo back from Auburn as an offensive analyst. So you've got a lot of these pieces, even dating back to years past when we've had them. You know, you think back to the 2012 season, back still in the BCS, but Georgia was one play away from beating Alabama in the SEC championship game to which Alabama moved forward and just drummed Notre Dame in the national championship game. That was another one where Georgia could have won it. 2017, you know, you kind of look forward. Uh, looking at the past few years, I, I will say the only year that Georgia was good but nobody was going to beat this other team was the 2019 LSU team because that was one of the most historic teams offensively I've seen. Kind of in the same comparison to how historic Georgia's defense was this year, dating back quite a while. Yeah, that 2019 LSU team, it was almost touched by a higher power. They had a couple scares, but it really wasn't even close at all, especially as you got to the end of that season. Uh, Clemson, poor things. <laughs> they didn't stand a chance in the uh, the championship game. Yeah, that was that was kind of one of those when we got to the SEC championship game. As 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 a Georgia fan, doing all the things I do with Georgia is you just kind of you hoped, but hope back then, like that SEC shorts thing that comes out every week, it was right. it was a lot higher, and uh, and that was one that you hoped, but you kind of knew in the back of your mind this this is going to be a very difficult task to get over, and we knew by kind of by halftime it was like okay. It's going to take a lot to beat this team, and, and our defense was nowhere near the caliber that it is this year. Now, it would be kind of fun if you could take a team from the past and, and a team now to see Georgia's defense face off against that LSU offense this year. That would have been kind of a fun, you know, again, it's wishful I have a feeling I know who like you'd go. I have a feeling that uh, I know who you would pick in that battle. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I'm, I think I might disagree with you. <laughs> It would, it would be tough, and some of that could be, you know, reference to the Alabama and the SEC championship game because Georgia's defense was not was not in any way, shape, form, or fashion at all prepared for that game, not in the way that they realized they had to be. And the only good thing for Georgia was you had a month to prepare for that national championship game. First of all, you had to prepare for Michigan, whose defense came in and it was expected to be very good. Georgia handled that easily. But through that entire time, you know, that's one of the things that the guys were saying, okay, we condition, 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 prepare. We've had a month to do this. We've got to be able to stick with Alabama because they believed they would beat Michigan, and they did. And they knew that the next thing that would be in front of them is Alabama. And if you want to be the 2021 national champions, you got to get through them. And Georgia finally conquered that this season. Yeah, they did. And it was a long time coming, and especially just watching the season, kind of like a callback here to 1980. I mean, Georgia was dominant basically from the word go this year. They 
other than you know the SEC championship game, which they were just dominant. They were obviously the better team, and it was uh, I, I, it was just nice because 1980 it, it just that wasn't the case. There was a lot of close games. There was a lot of tight games, and Georgia found a way. And this year, Georgia really just kind of flexed its muscles, and they absolutely deserve to be the uh, the number one team. Yeah, like you were saying there, the first game, I mean, being Clemson a 10-3 to nail-biter, and from that point, Georgia outscored its opponents easily throughout the rest of the season until they ran into Alabama in the SEC Championship. Um, well, let's let's talk about one last thing, and this is not really history, but it is history in the making, and that's talking about the future, the future of what is college football with the transfer portal, with NIL, and I just kind of want to get your opinion, pick your brain a little bit, and, and maybe you tell me, how do you feel about what – what is to come? I mean, transfer portal alone, you have almost thousands of guys now that are in this portal that some of these guys aren't going to have anywhere to go. And it's somewhat scary for those guys who are going. But there are situations where I've looked at and I'm like, okay, I, I can understand this. This guy has a great opportunity. There have only been a couple of guys that I've seen so far that, in my opinion, did this correctly. But I kind of want to get your opinion and see kind of how you feel about, again, history in the making with with this transfer portal and all that's coming. Yeah, so first of all, I'd like to say that I am 100% for players using their right to put themselves in a better opportunity. Yeah. But like with anything in life, you need to do your research. You need to talk to those that you trust and counsel. And you, But I am 100% for making the decision that's best for you and your future. Now, I think everything kind of gets blown out of proportion for this. These probably these past two seasons just because this is a brand-new rule. And you also have the NIL rules that have come out. So it's going to be, you know, as we've seen, it's just going to be hectic and kind of crazy as everything starts kind of shaking out about – well, how is money going to get in my pocket and what schools are going to set me up best for success? Because as we mentioned earlier, uh, with the lack of regionalism and everything like that, and especially with the NFL just being the NFL, I think most of these, these high-caliber players, their end goal is obviously to get to the NFL and to earn that generational wealth. And so they're going to do what's best in their mind to put themselves in a position to earn that check. And I'm, I'm all for that. Honestly, it is kind of strange seeing, you know, bitter rivals having players transfer to your rival. That's kind of weird. But as I said earlier, if, if you think leaving Georgia to go to Florida is your best opportunity to get starting time and to get into the NFL, then who am I to say anything about that? You chase that bag. Yeah, and I, I can understand that. Like I said, the weird thing is, you you know, you go a few years, really, I guess this year has been the first year of NIL really being a thing, but the transfer portal was somewhat of a thing before. And, and like I said, there's only been a couple of guys who, in my opinion, back then, before the money was something, was like Jalen Hurts to me. And I know this is an Alabama guy, but he, to me, kind of did it the way that you would expect. Okay, he went to Alabama. He sat there. He stayed. He was the starter. He got benched by a freshman who came in and took his job. And then when it was his time to step back up in the SEC championship game of that 2018 season, he did that. 
but he stayed and graduated. And then he decided, okay, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere and just see if I can get just a little bit better. And he went to, at the time, who was Lincoln Riley, a quarterback coach, a guy who was able to get quarterbacks Heisman trophies like we saw and get them into the league. And that's where he decided to go. And transferring there, to me, that was one of the guys I was like, okay, I see that. Now it's completely different because now that the NIL has become a thing and it's more about, okay, I can go here and I can make a lot of money. There is the opportunity too in the case of like Jamie, uh, uh, Jermaine Burton who left Georgia to go to Alabama. It's a sore subject really right now with a bunch of Alabama fans and over, not for Alabama but for Georgia. It's a sore subject because you just beat them in the national championship. Now you're talking about going and playing for the team that you beat that is a rival, that is – that's who you want to beat. Why would you want to join them? And you beat them finally. But I somewhat see his reasoning because regardless of if he's getting paid anything by NIL, NIL, it is not known in a long time for Georgia wide receivers to go that high in a draft. Whereas at Alabama, year after year after year, they have top first-round draft picks. So I can understand some of the some of the movement. Uh, but now it's it, it's going to – it's going to change a lot with the NIL that is now in place as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was very well said. Um, I don't think it's going to be like this every year, but you know, I may have to eat crow on that later. <laughs> I think with, uh, yeah, with the, and something to also keep in mind is it's still only a one time transfer that you can like instantly become a starter. Yeah. So unless you get a waiver from the NCAA, you can't theoretically, go four schools in four years and start every year. So you have basically one shot. So you need to do your research as a player, as a family, uh, to see who's going to be best for you. Yeah, you nailed it on the head there because unless your name's Tate Martell, you, you figured it out. You know, you can go to one school, you're not going to start. You go to another school and another school and another – until you finally decide, okay, I'm just going to retire from football and worry about my business. Uh it just you can't just constantly move around and and it is a good thing like you were saying there that it is a one-time rule and hopefully it's not something that's as big of a deal as it is now hopefully these guys start to get recruited to where they want to go play and if it is all based on nil then go to that place stick it out sit there and if for some reason it's either not what you thought it was or you just need to be closer to home you have that opportunity to use that for that um or like you said to better yourself and and I will say this as far as the stance of NIL. When it comes to NIL, my thought on it when it first was starting was, okay, this is going to be something that name, image, likeness. You get paid for your name on the jersey. You get paid like we all want the NCAA football game to come back so we can all play it. Listen, as soon as it comes out, I got to have it. That's all there is to it. And I think you should be paid for that as a player, having your name put out there for people to enjoy and, and wear your jersey, get your autograph and stuff. Now it's starting to shift to a way that I wasn't really expecting where, okay, let's just say Ole Miss, for example. Hey, we can already have you something set up here to where you're making $250,000 a season with us. Just come here. We've already got these endorsements set up for you, and we'll pay you this money to be able to come and play for us. That was something I really wasn't expecting as much as like now. You get there, and maybe you do go and – do like JT Daniels would deal with Zaxby's and stuff like that. It's it's somewhat changing daily from what I anticipated it being at the beginning of this thing. Right. And if I could speak to that, I, I worked as a student manager for a D1 program while I was in college. And like, I am not saying anything negative about the scholarship. 
All I'm saying is the scholarship does cover, you know, your room and board and you do get like a meal plan and, you know, obviously your tuition is paid for, but scholarship does not put gas in your car. It doesn't provide for you to go home yep. during the holidays and, and see your family. So I have been for the NIL deals since the beginning. And I think as a media, sometimes we may get caught up in like these huge million dollar, yeah. few hundred thousand dollar deals. But I really think about like the second string quarterback or the third string running back or like the offensive line. It's like, okay, yeah, he's not going to make that huge money, but at least now if he wants to create a Twitch or a YouTube live and make some side money with that, or if he wants to write, or if he wants to appear in a couple commercials just to get a little bit of money in his pocket, then I'm glad that there's actually a system in place now that he can do that. And not even just football. I mean, gymnastics, softball, baseball, basketball, all of them now have that opportunity to make money off their name is a billion dollar industry that players deserve a cut of that. That's just my opinion. No. And I, again, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's your name. You should be able to make money off of your name a hundred percent. Like you say, for the reasons that people don't understand, not necessarily for some guys who will go out and they do make a million dollars. If, if there's deals like that, like people say there are out there, and, and buy yourself a car uh, at the same time, you know, if that's what you're going to do with it, so be it. It's like you said, do your research, be smart about what it is that you're doing. It's just a little bit different now that instead of a guy going somewhere and then starting an endorsement deal, some schools are already, it looks like to me anyway, having those deals set up to where when someone comes, it's like, all right, we've got you set up, just come on. This is becoming more of a recruiting tool as opposed to, okay, the guy gets there, you realize he's good, he should be able to make money off of his name. But again, I agree 100% that for a guy, you should make money off of your name, image, and likeness. That's what it's for. 100% agreeance there. I'm just curious to see how much it changes in the future if these schools really do already get this stuff set up for somebody before they ever even come. Right. And I'm sure, I mean, with anything, like if uh, a new software comes out, it's it's launched, and then you have bug fixes and updates. There's going to be some kind of updates, some kind of fixes as the years goes by to try to make this, I guess, as fair as possible. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot to change. There's a lot to come. I'm, I, I'm curious to see what Georgia does next year. That's kind of where we're getting to. We're getting to the off season. It's time to kind of talk off season talk about Georgia, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm excited, um, Trey. I really do appreciate you coming on and talking with us again. You guys can follow him at SEC, or excuse me, at SEC Historian uh, on Twitter. Tell everybody where they can find you as well um, on any of the other websites that you were mentioned. I know we mentioned Pipeline earlier. Um, if you have anywhere else that these guys can reach you or reach out to you, if they want to talk to you or maybe get you on another show somewhere. Right. Yeah. So I would, first of all, Holden, pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I will talk SEC football, basketball, baseball, softball with anybody, anytime, any college. If you have anything interesting or like personal stories, like your family, your friends or old photos, like I would love to experience that with you. My whole platform is just about documenting the SEC as a whole, because it's a conference that I grew up with and that I love. Um, as Holden said, my SEC historian account is on Twitter at SEC historian. My personal is at what you say, Trey. My DMs are open for both. 
please, you know, hop in. Let's talk about uh, talk about sports. Um, and as I said at the beginning of the show, I have been uh, offered a position to contribute for pipeline as well as fifth quarter. I don't have any articles currently on fifth quarter, but they're coming. And I've got a lot of stuff that a lot of projects that I'm working on. I'm super excited to share with you guys. And uh, thank you again, Holden, for for letting me appear on your show. Yeah, no problem. And I look forward to, we're definitely going to have to get you back on, especially with the history that Georgia will continue to create. If I ever have a question about any kind of history around anybody in the SEC, like you say, in any sport genre or anything like that, i got to be sure to reach out to you. Anything that you put out, you let me know it. I'll be sure to share it and let everybody else see it uh, and and just try to continue this thing rolling. But I really do appreciate you uh, being on with us, and I look forward to uh, to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. What a great conversation there with with Trey uh, again on Twitter at SEC Historian. You guys go check out the work that he's putting up. Um, I've read a couple of the articles that he's done so far, um, especially that one that's up now on news.pipeline.co. That's actually P-Y-P-E-L-I-N-E, like we talked about earlier in that interview. But just a great conversation to have with this guy. He's very knowledgeable of, again, the history of SEC and, and, and deep-rooted into it. You can go look at his Twitter page and just see all of the differences and, and, and history of the SEC. Uh, just really good at that. Fantastic to be able to talk to him, talk about some of the history of Georgia, dating back to the national championship of not only 1980, the most memorable since this one, but also all the way back to 1942 and what could be or could not be considered a national champion. Probably even more years than that where other teams have, you know, claimed national champions when really in some aspects they're not. Um, So it was great to be able to talk to Trey again. You guys make sure you go and check out his work. Follow him on Twitter uh, and anything else that he puts out. I'll be be sure to, you know, share that and let you guys read about it and and all of that. Look forward to being able to have him on in the future as well. Um, So kind of leaving off where – Trey and I were talking about, and that is the transfer portal. That's kind of where I want to end off uh, on the show before we get to a little bit more of a lighter note, and that's the transfer portal. Some of the talk there in the NIL, and I want to talk about so far the guys who have left because some of these guys who have left, it is it has become a much bigger deal, much, much bigger deal than I really anticipated happening. And here's a couple of them. We know where everybody so far that has transferred out is going, with exception to JT Daniels. That's what I'm going to run through. Amir Speed, who was a cornerback, he has gone to Michigan State. Jalen Johnson, a wide receiver, is headed to uh, ECU. Justin Robinson, another wide receiver, headed to Mississippi State. Jalen Kimber, a cornerback, headed to Florida. Uh, Latavius Brini, a defensive back, headed to Arkansas. Lavoisier Carroll, a cornerback, headed to South Carolina. Uh, And then JT Daniels, like we said, we don't know. But the biggest controversy right now, has been that of Jermaine Burton, wide receiver, who transfers to Alabama. And it's kind of like Trey said there in the conversation was, hey, if you can go somewhere to better yourself, go go get the bag. You know, regardless of whether it's from something NIL or whether it's from, you know, prolonging your career and, and being on a better pedestal to be able to step forward into the NFL, which Georgia fans, you have to wake up and realize this. Georgia is not putting – wide receivers in the first and second round like Alabama is. You just have to accept that. And that's not me trying to be down on anything because I hope that that changes. I hope here in the next couple of years having 
a great coordinator coming back in with the wide receiver coach, it can make a difference. Having these guys come in and be able to prolong what wide receivers can do at the University of Georgia, that's something that I'm looking forward to. But right now, Alabama is the place to go. You've got a wide receiver who won the biggest award that you can win as an individual in the Heisman Trophy last year in Devontae Smith. Guess what? That's at the University of Alabama. It's not at the University of Georgia. I would wish that it would be, and I hope that it can be in the future. But hate to lose Jermaine Burton. And it's very strange to me, just me as a fan, for a guy to leave a team that just won against a team that they just beat just because that mentality is, okay, I don't like that team. I want to do everything in my power to be able to beat that team. I don't want anything to do with that team. But then to leave that same mentality and go to a team that you just beat that you shouldn't like, it's hard as a fan to understand that. But as more the media side, I guess, whatever you want to call it, I also understand exactly what Trey said. Go and get it. That's the place right now that has the greatest opportunity for you to better yourself. Now, am I saying that that's going to happen? No. Could that happen? Possibly. We'll see. I think you stand a much better chance being at the University of Georgia just because of what could be. But you can't live your life wondering what could be. So I also understand, okay, I'm going to go somewhere that I know these are the guys who are putting guys in first and second round into the NFL draft. That's what I want to be a part of. So I can understand that. Again, that, that's just trying to take the bias out of it somewhat. Now, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that he goes there and is a starter. It's not a guarantee that he does what uh, Devontae Smith did. It's not a guarantee that he goes and does what Jalen Waddle did, did what uh, Mechie and, and Williamson have done this year. So it's not a guarantee that that happens for Jermaine. But that was one of the biggest controversies that's been going around is what happens. But like, like I said, I agree. I agree. Go and get it. Me as a fan, I wish you'd stay. We just don't like Alabama. That's all there is to it. We finally got over the hump. We have to continue to get over that hump for that to stop mattering. But as of right now, we don't like Alabama. So if you leave us to go to Alabama, you then become the enemy. And that is the truth when it comes to a fan. But as a person, taking the bias out of it, I get it. I understand it. Again, I know Georgia fans, you're not necessarily going to listen to that. You may turn me off from this point forward. It's just my opinion. And it is what it is. I hate it. Wish you would stay. He got some touches this year, but he wants more. And who's to say that he stays around and doesn't get any more than he got this year? So I understand it. And, again, he could go there and not get any touches. I don't know. That's the risk-reward, you know, that you kind of go in this situations. Like I said before, there are thousands of people right now that are in the transfer portal. Maybe not thousands, but I'm, I guarantee you it's over a 1,000. And some of these guys aren't going to be able to play anywhere, but Jermaine Burton is good enough to go play somewhere. Now, will he be able to get that starting role at Alabama? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the status is with Mechie if he's headed out. I know Jamison's headed to the NFL, so we'll see. Maybe he does get to go there and, and fill a role that is really needed. You know, he's got that experience. He's got the speed. He shows that he is capable of being a good wide receiver. So Alabama, luckily for them, does pick up a good one. Uh, but again, don't fret. I said it off the top, Georgia, you've got guys coming back. You've got guys coming back this year. I'm not concerned at all offensively, and I don't think you guys should be either. And like I said, defensively, I'm not concerned about it either. Let's get to some more fun stuff. I told you guys off the top that this is how it's going to end the show. I want to start it off with the top five most memorable moments, and then I'm going to go through the top five most heartbreaking. And actually, I'm going to give it a little flipperoo. 
I'm going to start with the heartbreak, and let's end on the good stuff, right? Let's end this season on the good stuff instead of ending on the heartbreak. Uh, because, hey, we ended in the best way you possibly could. But let's start. Number five, top most heartbreaking moments since at least 2012. Number five to me, might not matter to most of you guys, but it's losing to Florida in the 2020 season. It was losing to Florida last year. You know, We beat them in 17. We beat them in 18. We beat them in 19. Come around to 20 and – Injuries beat beat Georgia bad, really bad in that season. Even in that game, having a quarterback going down, having a wide receiver go down, injuries that started to pile up against Georgia, and unfortunately, having to lose Florida. It's just what it was. That was my number five. Again, there's a lot more. There's more that I'm going to miss and some that probably after this that I'm going to remember. But number five, most heartbreaking moments since 2012, at least 2020, losing to Florida is what it is, but I just hated it. We got our revenge this year, so I'm glad. Number four, prayer in Jordan Hare back in 2013. That was a tough one, too. That was a tough one, too. You know, coming off the 2012 season that we had, which was a great season, then the prayer in Jordan Hare happens. And if I remember correctly, that's also the same year that the kick six happened with one second left against Alabama. Wild year. Wild year for Auburn that year. But the prayer in Jordan Hare, that was a tough one. I remember that I was actually working, listening to it on the radio, uh, Georgia takes lead, and I'm like, all right, we got it done. And then all of a sudden, I was working in the state of Alabama, and all of a sudden, all you hear over the radio is just hollering, a bunch of a bunch of hollering and loud noises. I'm surrounded with Auburn fans, Alabama fans around me, and Auburn takes us down on the prayer in Jordan Hare 2013. That's number four most heartbreaking moments since 2012. Number three, the Tennessee Hail Mary in 2016. That was another wild one. Uh, I was actually out to eat, and me and a friend of mine walked around the corner up from our seat, and we're watching the game. Georgia throws the Hail Mary to take the lead. We just knew, all right, this game's over. Georgia has done what they needed to do to win this thing. Just to stand there and watch Tennessee walk it off in, in crazy fashion, crazy fashion. But I, I can't remember if it was a pooch kick, why we didn't kick it deep. I, I don't remember exactly how in the world it transpired, but that was a heartbreaker. One, because it's Tennessee. But two, anytime you lose to a Hail Mary like that, it's rough. And and that was a rough season all the way around. All the way around, really rough. First season for uh, Kirby Smart. A lot of things had to happen, but that's my number three moment was the Tennessee Hail Mary in 2016. Number two was the 2012 SEC Championship game falling at the goal line. What would have more than likely, in my opinion at least, been a national championship for Georgia in 2012 Falling to Alabama at the goal line, SEC championship. Aaron Murray throws the pass to the outside. Wide receiver slips, still catches the ball. Time runs out. We lose. Alabama goes on to demolish Notre Dame in what should have been Georgia's first national championship since 1980 back then in 2012. That's my number two. And number one, really don't even have to ask, guess, anything like this. It's second and 26. That 2017 season as much of a surprise, like I was talking earlier about, much of a surprise that season was to end that season that way was as heartbreaking as it gets. And that's why it was in my number one most heartbreaking moments. Now, let's pipe it up with the fun stuff. The top five most memorable moments. Funny enough in this, there's only two years in all of this. Two years. And it's 2017 and it's this year. Understandably so, because since 2012, at least, that's the most significant years 
so far that we've had. Now, again, there are a lot of things, and I could be missing some. Some of these are small and minute. Some of these are huge and matter a lot. But let's start at number five. Number five was Georgia in the SEC championship game of 2017. Revenge over the the foe at the time, Auburn. After taking the lashing we did and Gus Malzahn after the game talking about whipping the dog crap at him, Georgia getting that revenge in the SEC championship game to be able to play in a college football playoff game for the first time in 2017, that was awesome to take Auburn down the way we did. When when DeAndre Swift took off down the sideline and we really took the lead in that game heavily, I was like, that's it. That's it. And I will be honest, in the season, that 2017 was the last time I talked crap. It was the last time I talked any kind of smack in a football game before it to any friends, anybody, Twitter, anything, just because I learned. I talked my smack to my Auburn friends in the regular season, and we got smacked. I didn't say anything when the SEC Championship came around. Georgia handled their business. So since then, I've kind of just adopted. Maybe I just keep my mouth shut, let them handle it. But number five, Georgia SEC Championship game, 2017, most memorable moment. Number four. This one, minute to some people, but I went to the Arkansas game this year, sat in the end zone where it was louder than I've ever heard, Sanford Stadium. Arkansas with their back to us. The first few plays, jumping off sides as loud as it was. The blocked punt right there in the end zone, the ball coming to us. Awesome, awesome. So one of my most memorable moments was that as well. Number four, Arkansas 2021, the game going on to beat them 37 to nothing. I mean, just when I saw that game, that was kind of when I knew, all right, Georgia's the real deal this year. I don't think anybody's beating us. So that was awesome. Number three, another minute one, but if you're a Georgia fan, you'll understand this one. Beating Florida in 2017, 42-7. 42-7 after Georgia, I think Florida, excuse me, for like three years straight before this had just dominated Georgia. We could not beat Florida. If we did, We'd beat them, and then they'd just beat us again multiple years in a row. Finally, finally 2017, from 2017 to 28, or 2020, Georgia locked that down. That was it from that point forward, and dominating fashion for the most part. 42-7, to being able to lash Florida like that felt so good. That's why it becomes my number three most memorable moment. And again, may not mean that much to people. Again, this is just my list. Hey, make your own list if you don't agree with it. Number two. This is the controversial one for some people, but number two for me is the Keeley Ringo pick six. It is the third in Ringo. I know some people are trying to determine what is the name of that. I really hadn't come up with anything too catchy myself, but the Keeley Ringo pick six to win the national championship, which it wasn't to win, but it was really to seal the deal. uh, That was one to me that I was just blown away with. I was hollering as soon as he caught it. I'm I'm hollering, jumping up and down. Go, Keeley, go! You know, just... Fired up about that one. That was the number two moment, and it makes you kind of go, well, how? How is sealing the deal, winning the national championship for the first time in 41 years since 1980, how is that not number one? That's because, to me, number one where, again, just a surprise season the 2017 was Sony Michelle running around the edge in the Rose Bowl to beat Oklahoma in overtime to go to the national championship for the first time in all those years. That's the most memorable moment to me. The Keeley Ringo was huge, for sure. It's number two, you know, right there behind it. And I went crazy for that, too, trust me. But that first one, when Sony went around the edge and and we punched a ticket to the national championship, I mean, I still remember it to this day. It's just overtime, the game, the way that Georgia was able to come back 
and fight in that game to win. It was just awesome. That's all there is to it. I, I that again, it just it just ends as my most favorable moment. Just does. First time punching that ticket to the national championship. First time being in the college football playoff. And again, I just hate it. And it's funny because my number one on heartbreak and my number one on you know most memorable is the same same season. One game apart. Most exciting was getting to that national championship. Most heartbreaking was losing that national championship the way that we did. Both of which just so happened to be in overtime. Same year, same everything. But that's my list there. Just kind of wanted to make it kind of fun ending it up. And this is pretty much going to wrap us up, guys. This is going to wrap up season two of Dog Talk. I really, really enjoyed doing this season with you guys. What a great season it was. We go out on top. National champions for the first time in 41 years since 1980. Uh, what a great season. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what season three has to come in store. That one I'm pretty much going to save. You know, I may jump back on and do maybe one more episode of season two if some big news has to drop or does drop. And it's going to take that. It's going to take that because, you know, where JT Daniels lands, that's going to that's gonna fall on Twitter. Uh, any other kind of coaching changes, you know, unless a lot of stuff starts to compile and we just have some stuff to talk about, this is pretty much going to wrap up season two and I will break in season three once we get right there to, uh, what is it, the spring game in April. So just a little while down the road, we'll fire off season three for the spring game, some of the conversation we want to talk about there, media days. And then we'll, you know how it is. We really start getting to rocking at the end of July once we start to get to August, preparing for that September 3rd, I think it is, against Oregon because that's a big one, big one coming up. Really looking forward to that. Again, shout-out to uh, Trey Gilly at SEC Historian on Twitter. Make sure you guys go and follow him, and I will keep up with him. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Make sure you guys check it out. Uh, if you're listening or if you're watching on YouTube, what have you, go back, check it out again, download the podcast, listen to it, tell your friends about him. Y'all go check it out and follow him there uh, as well. Just so excited. So excited to be able to do that. I really appreciate all of you guys for listening, tuning in, watching everything uh, that you guys have done uh, because you're the reason that I get to continue this. You know, I decided to to get a background rocking and rolling for us. Finally got the camera back up and rolling, and we've got a little bit better quality video at least, so I'm looking forward to what's to come uh, in the years to come to keep this thing rocking and rolling. And, again, I just appreciate you guys being here with us and making this thing happen. So let's wrap it up on this note again. At Dog Talk 20 on Twitter. You guys see it up there in the top of the corner. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube so once we do get it up and rolling, you guys get it there. DogTalkPod.com. If you guys want to support the show, you'll see the link in the description below. Looking forward to Season 3 coming up soon. But Season 2, we're out. Go dogs. <laughs>